Church. Uh, today we're continuing our series entitled Simply Jesus, God's Answer to Our Deepest Longings, where we're considering Jesus' own statements about himself, uh, known as the I Am statements uh, in the book of John, uh, to see how Jesus is indeed God's answer to our deepest longings. Now, last week, Devlin preached on uh, from John chapter 10, where Jesus says, I am the door for the sheep. And today we're covering a text and an image that's kind of intertwined with that passage. So if you missed last week's service, I encourage you to go back and take a listen. Um, And so this morning, we're again in John chapter 10, but looking at Jesus's claim, I am the good shepherd. And we'll consider Jesus as the good shepherd who loves the flock, as well as Jesus uh, as the good shepherd who knows his sheep. And so I'll be reading from John chapter 10, verse 1 to 5, and then skipping down to verses 11 to 16. So would you join me as I read uh, from John chapter 10, verse 1 to 5, and then 11 to 16. This is Jesus speaking. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. This is the word of God. Now today we're looking at this this image that Jesus presents of himself, calling himself the good shepherd. And before we dive into what this means, uh, I think there's just something we need to do to pause and consider what Jesus is saying. See, the image of Jesus as shepherd may seem like a really soft one uh, from, from the pictures that we have and paintings of fields and pastures and Jesus standing there patiently holding the sheep uh, um, with sheep around him that look all soft and, and cute and cuddly. But there are two things that I think we really need to stop to understand. And the first is that shepherding is hard. (laughs) And I don't know about you, but being born and raised in New York City in this area, I've never really worked with animals, let alone sheep or goats, right? And then pull back the years to when Jesus was talking about a shepherd laying his life down, which sounds really incredible, really noble, really virtuous. But really what it means is that there's danger and the shepherd's bare hands, the shepherd's crook, the shepherd's sandals, or whatever else he might use for self-defense has not been enough to fend off whatever that danger is. And you see, it's really easy for us in the comfort of air-conditioned rooms and the safety of hopefully never having to fight a wolf to read this passage and scoff at this hired hand and their lack of commitment. 
And while there's a couple of verses here talking about this hired hand, I believe the point isn't to look into finding meaning in the hired hand who runs, but rather it's to point at the contrast between this hired hand and Jesus as the good shepherd, to actually magnify Jesus and his relationship with the flock. The second thing that we need to understand is this metaphor is far more than a metaphor. See, Jesus, he, when he talks of the shepherd laying down his life, he's going beyond the metaphor of what it means to be a shepherd and pointing to his own death. And whether it's the illustration of just the shepherd or Jesus talking of his own life, uh, this statement that he makes isn't hyperbolic. Like, I would die for you to, that's how much I, I, I love you. That's how much affection I have you. I would go to the ends of the earth as we might say. It's not what's going on, nor is this statement exemplary that Jesus would just die simply to show how much he loves this flock. A shepherd who would die merely to prove their devotion to caring for this flock isn't a very good shepherd, but it's more the willingness of a shepherd, their heart, their characteristic of being willing to put their life at risk for the safety of this flock that we look at. And so Jesus too points to his actual death, not a hyperbolic statement, and he points to his actual death, a death with reason and purpose. Now, the illustration and image of a shepherd, it's used throughout the Old Testament, but here what comes to focus is a passage in Ezekiel. And actually, God here in, in Ezekiel 34, he's addressing the leaders of his people. Teachers, leaders, shepherds, if you would, who are not leading well, and he rebukes them. And after that, he says that he himself will be the one to gather, lead, and care for his sheep. Later in that chapter, in Ezekiel 34, verse 23 to 25, God says this, I will place over them, his people, one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend to them, uh, and he will tend to them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. And this reference to this servant David points to a promise that God made to King David, that, that his line would reign forever, that his kingship would be eternal. And Jesus' claim saying that he is the good shepherd is, is to actually say that he is the one promised and sent by God. He is the one who will reign forever. He is the one who will lay his life down to pay the price for sin. And this message, this claim, this, this bold declaration of Christ was clear to the Pharisees. The Pharisees accuse him of blasphemy, not lunacy, right, for saying he's going to lay his life down and, and he chooses to do that. They accuse him of blasphemy. After this passage, they come to him and demand that he speak frankly and clearly to say, hey, are you claiming to be this Messiah? They knew that this metaphor wasn't just to illustrate a point but it was a claim on a promise. Now this claim and promise exists for us today and it shows us God's love, Jesus' love as the good shepherd. The NLT translates this verse uh, so well, I think it does such a good job, but it's a verse that if you've grown up in church, you would probably be familiar with and it's John 3, 16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And this is the basis of our faith.
Christianity is rooted in who Jesus is and what he has done, who he is as our good shepherd. Our faith isn't based on sterile rules, rituals, or morals, but in the person of Christ, our good shepherd, the one promised and sent by God. And he willingly lays his life down to pay the price of sin. You see, Jesus is not just the good shepherd who loves the flock. He's also the good shepherd who knows his sheep. Now, in those days, shepherds used to graze their flocks in groups. And so you'd have multiple flocks with multiple shepherds kind of all in the same large area. And now these shepherds would have their own calls, their own signals that to gather the sheep of their flock. And the sheep would learn this signal, would learn to recognize the call of their shepherd. But here Jesus goes on to say he even knows his sheep by name, that they know his voice. In verse 14, he says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And this, this knowledge, this knowing, and this relationship is, is analogous. The, the relationship Jesus has with his sheep is analogous to the relationship between Jesus and God, the Son and the Father. And this is what John says about that relationship, the one between God and Jesus, referring to Jesus as the Word become flesh. John chapter 1 verse 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, was with God, and the Word was God. It's the language of perfect unity, union that we can't even fully understand. John chapter 1 verse 18 reads, No one has ever seen God but the, the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. He has made him known. Jesus knows God deeply, personally, and that kind of relationship is mirrored in his relationship with us. In short, Jesus truly knows his sheep, and he loves them. And that's a big deal. See, in our our, our final verse of this passage today, Jesus says that he has sheep who are not of this sheep pen. He's talking about Gentiles, non-Jews, basically people who are not a part of this ethnic group of God's chosen people who would come to believe him. And not only does he say that he's come to love them, he says that with no asterisks, no condition, that they are also his sheep. That there shall be one flock and one shepherd. And Jesus came not just for the Israelites, but for all. That truly this invitation and promise of Christ is for everyone who believes in him. Now, what's more is Jesus lived out this compassion and this invitation of love in his life. Not just engaging uh, Gentiles, but showing compassion to those who were left vulnerable and even actively marginalized and rejected by the society. The sick, the disabled, the poor, the widows and orphans, the women in general, Jewish tax collectors who were ostracized as traitors to their own people. Jesus truly knew each person and he loved them. Despite their backgrounds, despite the decisions they had made, despite the circumstances they found themselves in and the stigma that came with whatever that was, Jesus knew each person and he loved them. And you see this, it's a longing that we all have. We all have this desire 
to be truly known, truly seen for who we are, both the good and the ugly, for when we succeed and accomplish, but also when we fail and when we have our insecurities. We have this desire to not only be truly known, but to be truly accepted, not rejected or passed over or merely tolerated in the eyes of others. And you see, we, we can grow so lonely when this desire and longing is left unmet, even if we're celebrated and surrounded by many. We can grow frustrated, resentful, hurt, and even scarred to the core of who we are when we can't experience this kind of intimacy with the closest and most precious people in our lives. It's really those close people that we really hope would understand us. It's those people who can hurt us the, the, the most easiest and fastest because we hope and long that they would truly know us, truly see us, and accept us. And to this deep desire, yes, Jesus is our first answer. Indeed, we believe that Christ fills this longing in ways that no one else can because he knows us more deeply than we can know ourselves and loves us in ways to match. Jesus, when he meets with people who are ostracized, who are marginalized by the society, he not only knows about their life, knows where they're at, but he speaks words of truth and meets them in a way that just blows them away. See, I believe Jesus is indeed our first answer. But I also believe that God has created and called us to be this one flock together. That in following Christ's example, we are to build relationships and communities that show this kind of love. That we're to take the time and energy to be vulnerable and welcoming, to mirror the love of Christ for one another, just as he's mirrored it for us, this love that he has with the Father. And even more, I believe that this love is to be shared with even those who we might think are so different from us across lines of cultural and ethnic background, marital status, life experience, socioeconomic standing, and whatever else might, might present itself as a gap to span. Because in Christ, we are one flock and one shepherd. So today, as we respond, I hope that you would bring your life to God with the daily grind of all that we face, with the added stresses of, of an uncertain fall season coming up. It's so easy for us to lose sight of the person of Christ, to drift into this, this place where we believe or, or where we think that our religion is just something else to be stressed about, tired about, feeling guilty that we're not doing enough, not productive enough. I hope that today you would come to Christ as your good shepherd, recognizing that he loves the flock. He paid the price for our sin so that we could have life with him, life through him, life to the full, and that he knows his sheep, where each of us are, and how to meet us there. So as we respond in song, would you take this time to reflect and to respond, to bring your life to Christ? Whether you've been journeying with him for years or you're new to the faith and have questions, would you bring where you are, who you are, to him, knowing that he is our good shepherd and we are his flock?